Yo, what's up, everybody? Of course, this is Darius, the host of the Color Reimagine podcast presented to you by People of Color Clothing. And today we are talking about immigration. And I have two very special guests with me who are going to now introduce themselves. I am Sienna Kasky, and I am the policy director for Here to Stay. My name is Carla Medell, and I'm the president for Here to Stay. So to kick off this episode, we're talking about immigration, of course. And for me personally, I know that I, I haven't dealt with immigration, um, but I've taken classes at Oregon State that kind of introduced me to like the behind the scenes of immigration. And it's a very, very, very interesting topic because you have the reality side of immigration, but then you have like the scripted news side of immigration and the perception that they put into people's minds and like, you know, immigration and build a wall and stuff like that. Within the People of Color clothing catalog, there's a Immigration is Beautiful shirt. And that particular shirt was inspired by a documentary that I saw. I don't know the name of the documentary, but it was in my intro to ethics class. And in that moment, I realized that the process of immigration, whether it's legal or illegal, is a beautiful process because at some point there's an individual within your family tree that has to make that decision that that looks around and says, you know, this isn't working. My environment isn't producing or yielding the results that I want for me or my family. So I'm going to do something about it. So that person makes that decision. And from that decision, like everybody's life has changed. And I was, we were talking before, or listening to you guys talk before, and it sounds like your father made that decision. And I think that's incredible because now you are the legacy of that decision. So um, I think it's it's really remarkable how people are selfless enough to say, you know, I'm going to change my life and everybody's life that comes after me. So um, that's what inspired my Immigration is Beautiful shirt. And I'm excited to hear your guys' perspective on just that process and educating our listeners on the immigration process. So we are going to start off with the question, what is the biggest misconception about the immigration process? I think that right now the biggest misconception or one of them is that all immigration is coming from Mexico. Um, And, you know, we've seen in here to stay that immigration spans across the entire world so you got folks from every corner of the earth coming to different places and i think that's a really big misconception because if you look at all the propaganda that the current um administration is putting out that it's all about keep mexicans out and like i even know that trump tweeted like summer of 2016 or 2017 like uh, mexico's bringing in rapists murderers and drug crime and so when you read that as a young Latino woman, you're like, am I a murderer? Is my family rapi- rapist? You know, you're thinking all these things that people are believing. And then people assume that all of Mexico is bad and all these people coming are bad, which really hurts the brain of many, many people. So I think this idea that only Mexicans are coming to the U.S. is incorrect because we're seeing it from everywhere, like everywhere. Um, As Darius has said, I'm a first-generation U.S. citizen here in the U.S. Both of my parents immigrated, and because I see that firsthand, I saw their process, and I've seen the process of a lot of my other um, aunts and uncles of what 
it is to come here to the U.S. illegally or legally. And I think that's one of the misconceptions is that it's so easy to come here. It's so easy to get a visa or whatever it is that people think to get here. And whenever I hear this, it makes me really like just like roll my eyes. And I like think of everything that my parents had to go through or other people in my family had to go through to get here and I think that's like one of the biggest things that we have to keep educating others on is the whole process and why it's so hard and why people make these tough decisions for themselves and for their kids and just their future in general Uh, there's a lot that goes into it it's really difficult but at the end of the day obviously they have a reason behind it and why they choose to make their move to wherever they're going to go just from my perspective even though I don't I don't deal with immigration I, I see it so it was an instance to where I recently took the brand up to Portland to participate in last Thursday, which I saw you at. And there was this moment where we stopped at Walmart to get a tarp for our little station to set up. And I remember seeing a family walking out of Walmart to their car and the kids were just like, like just running freely. And I just remember seeing the mother kind of like looking over her shoulder. And in that instance, I just thought like, I thought about ice and I thought about, how Trump has just ignited ICE at every level. And I was just thinking, for you to come to this country and sacrifice everything you've ever known, the language, everything you've ever known, culture, religion, for you to come here and still have to look over your shoulder, I think that that that's that's a tough life to live. And I think, you know, the media perpetuates this negative connotation of immig- immigration, and, and especially Hispanics, and I just think it's unfair. Can you talk about like personally, like how do you, how have you seen within your family tree, like people affected by the immigration process? Yeah, so um, I'm third generation uh, citizen here in the US. And I remember when my grandma was, she came from Mexico and she was coming and she was talking about her green card. And after she had, you know, three kids and grandkids, it was finally then that she got her green card. So it also just shows like that process of how long it actually takes. But I mean, I have an interesting relationship with the police and ICE just because, you know, I've been in the car when my dad's been pulled over and for different reasons. And it's been scary knowing if, you know, my dad, who's a big beautiful brown guy but like you don't know what's gonna happen next and I even remember like my grandma was like don't talk to cops like you just don't don't look at them walk by don't do anything with them if they talk to you just keep walking be respectful and because there's that fear instilled in us that we have to fear them you know we don't feel safe around cops and just this past summer Um, It was actually my first encounter with um, ICE agents where I was actually arrested at the Portland ICE detention facility for blocking the driveway. And federal agents don't have to wear name tags. Um, I got to go inside of the building where I was processed. And it was interesting to see how they reacted to us. And the amount of men of color that were working for ICE astounded me. Um, the person that actually like put me in handcuffs was a brown man and the person that processed me had a very thick accent and was working and was a man of color and was working for ICE and so it just kind of shows like can you even trust people that look like you when they're working for people that are tearing people apart 
So ice scares me because you don't know like who they're going to take next. If it's going to be your friend that you're in class with or if it's going to be your family member. Like you don't know when they're coming because they can bend the rules. I've watched it happen. So ice is very scary to me. So like I had mentioned earlier, I'm a first generation U.S. citizen. So um, ICE has been a very interesting thing to me. I think the very first time that I remember. I always get emotional. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. There was this time that I had um, gotten home from school, and I remember as soon as I got home, one of my aunts called me, and she told me that my parents were not going to be coming home from work because ICE was in town, and they were going to be going over near my neighborhood, so my parents were not going to be home. They were driving over to one of my aunt's house in another town and that was just so scary for me and around my towns there's a very heavy um latino population so my story's not unique all of my friends back home have been through similar situations where their parents couldn't come home their parents couldn't go to work they had to find somewhere else to go to avoid ice and as a little kid that's not something that you should be worried about so very hard and still to this day like it happens all the time and I think also like as the oldest child I feel like I have to take care of my siblings I have to watch out for them like the third parent with my parents <laughs> yes super tough but I mean we're gonna get through it and um hopefully you know one day there's gonna be something that fixes all that and kids don't have to go through things that I went through or other kids are going through right now very tough though and affects you like probably for the rest of your life I just remember situations like that just listening to your story like that that really hits home for me just as a as a person that's kind of like naive to that experience and and an outsider looking in like you're, you're, you're literally a moment away a raid an ice raid away from being the caregiver for your brother and sister and I think that living with that reality every single day has to be like for me it's, it's sobering it's humbling because it's it's something that I don't personally have to experience. But to know that you're living with this this uncertainty, living with this 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 fear of of you know your parents being deported is 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 something that I mean I, I hurt for you. Like I hurt for you. Um and, and like you said, like you mentioned, like you're you're not the only person that that has this story is so many other people in your position um being i guess the the eldest um that are are experiencing this kind of this this kind of fear and i think that's 
man, it's 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 really something. Like I, I can't articulate it into words, but it's just like my I, I felt that. Like I, I really sincerely felt that. And I think something to add on is that the Department of Homeland Security and ICE as a thing is is new. Like it can still be demolished and, and abolished. Like it's not something that's been in the U.S. system for since the 1776 or whenever we became a nation. Um, so it's it's something that can be broken and with a new administration or something because it's something new. So I think that should also give people hope too. Knowing what you know now, especially like with the news and just how like immigration is such a hot topic and it's almost been weaponized, the word immigration. How has that fueled your advocacy for people who are like in undocumented situations being that you have relatives or family members that deal directly with that i know you mentioned earlier hit or stay like how has the experiences of your family members inspired you to spark change i think seeing what my family has been through and i just want to make them proud and i want other people like them to succeed in life half first gen so it's it's difficult because like my dad's side, which is my brown side, d- like doesn't understand everything I'm going through on campus, um, which is difficult. And I just ha- was at my Theo's wedding this past weekend, and so many family members from California came up, and they're like, "We're so proud of you! Like you're doing things that we couldn't do." And so I think that definitely fuels my advocacy. But it's also like so many of my close friends have different documentation, and I I couldn't imagine losing them. And so if I have the ability and the privilege, like I have the privilege to do this advocacy work because I have documentation. And so if I can do anything just to help them live a little better, like that's that would make my day. Back home for me, literally, I think maybe like half of the population is undocumented. There's a very, very um, high population there of undocumented people, but they're pretty much all older folks and so like nobody really does anything because it's kind of scary you know to put yourself out there when you um have different documentation statuses and make it difficult for you so I just I never thought I could really do anything and then when I came to OSU DACA got rescinded and my mom has DACA and so I was like like oh my god like what can I do and then we met Priscilla and Juan, and that's also where it all started for me. And it was really exciting to see that there was other people that felt empowered and like knew that they could make a difference, even if it was just a small one. And for me, it's really empowering. It's really, I don't know, it feels good just to know that you're doing something like for your friends and your family. And it might not be something huge, but it's something like I've seen the difference at OSU just with Here to Stay. And, you know, hopefully it keeps getting bigger and we're able to make a difference for those students and make it easier for them to go through college. Because it's difficult just being a first-generation student of color. Now imagine being a first-generation student of color that has a different documentation status that makes it even more difficult for them. Constantly having to look over your shoulder is just crazy to think about. But, I mean, community works makes it all go a long way. So what are some of the negative impacts or hoops you have to jump through when you are undocumented? So when you are undocumented, you can't apply for any type of federal aid. So that means like scholarships or food stamps, um, anything like welfare is a big one. People that's a big misconception, actually. Um, a lot of people are like um, undocumented people 
are just stealing more federal aid like and which is completely untrue because they're not eligible for it sometimes if you're low income and you don't have status you don't know how you're going to put food on the table like maybe um ice just raided your work and you have to go find a new job well, how are you going to put food on the table so that question is can be really prominent in one's life um especially with different statuses it can get really difficult which is I know why like Carla and I work really hard at OSU for students that do get to higher education like you need to help them as much as possible because they're not allowed to apply for FAFSA FAFSA so that's another hoop that you got to jump through how am I going to pay for college and so how can one better themselves to this standard that is I'm using like kind of air quotes too because I don't actually believe that this is how you can be successful in the world but this is one step to bettering your future and so how can you do that if you can't pay for it so that those are just a few kind of like how you were saying for students it's really difficult like how you mentioned they don't get FAFSA um even like just local scholarships often they require your social security number even some colleges to apply to the college they'll put like put your social security number here and something that we found out is like OSU does that but you don't really need it there but students don't know that especially if you're a documented and first generation you don't know that so you're just gonna think oh I can't do this it's asking me if I have a social security number I don't have that um, when it comes to jobs your application always says social security number here so people who are undocumented or don't hold some other type of status that doesn't allow them to have a social security number are often left with the jobs that are very difficult pay you under the table pay you really low um, wage and it makes it difficult taking out a loan for a car for a house like anything that just like regular U.S. citizens are able to do just out of luck for being born here are able to do like if my aunt my uncle my parents want to go take out a loan to get a house which is part of the American dream you know they can't do that they can't move forward and it's just so difficult just a little nine digit number that you get when you're born in the United States like there's so much privilege that comes with it and I don't know it just makes it so difficult for those that don't have that and I think also something that isn't talked about enough is the something that Carla talked a little bit about is you know you're going to be working those jobs under the t paid under the table and something that I haven't seen um, in the media at all is the amount of like sexual assault allegations that happen at those workplaces because those managers or wherever you're working they know that they can take advantage of those types of people because if they quit their job then there's no money and so people are taken advantage of only so they can live. And that's not how anybody should be treated at all. One of the reasons I reached out to UCNA was because of Hitter State. And I know like you're a big part of Hitter State on campus. And I know you've kind of referenced it a couple of times throughout the episode. Um, and I just feel like it's apropos for you to kind of like, um, or one of you guys, to talk about just what Hitter State is and what it means to you and like what it means to what it might mean to an undocumented student attending Oregon State University. This year I'm actually taking over as Here to Stay president. So Here to Stay was first started two years ago, um, right after DACA was rescinded by a dreamer and an ally. 
And since then, um, they've been working on just recruiting people, working on advocating for students on campus that um, hold DACA, are undocumented, or part of a mixed status family. But we're working on providing resources on campus. And I think right now, one of the big things that we're working on is providing a scholarship fund for DACA renewals, because those are $495 every single time you apply, every two years. And also we want to provide um, academic scholarships because like how we mentioned, there's not a lot of those around. It's just really a club for folks to get together and advocate and provide resources for these students, um, provide a better environment for them at OSU because they need to feel welcome just like every other student does. And something that I do as the policy director for Here to Stay is work with um, ASOSU, which is the Associate Students of Oregon State University, the student government on campus, and just working with them on different legislation to make uh, OSU safer for uh, DOC recipients and document students and students with mixed status families. So that's something that I think we haven't really talked about, but we are definitely big advocates or advocates for um, those students. Um, and something that we worked on this summer was that um, here to, the Here to Stay Instagram page was kind of the Portland Metro hub for reporting ICE sightings this summer. Um, and it it is amazing on how fast social media can spread because we got a boost in followers. People were sending us so many different, like, hey, I saw ICE on Burnside and blah, blah, blah. And we would just repost them to make sure that the community is aware. And I think that's a big part of Here to Stay is community activism because it's not just five of us. Like, it's probably about, like, more, way more than that. But um, we've reached a lot of different people and we're always looking to hear from others and for others to get involved. But honestly, like, Here to Stay is just one big family. Like, we talk about that a lot. We always have each other's backs, and we even get together just to make food and talk because this work is exhausting. Doing advocacy work is takes a lot of time and emotional labor, but here to stay is family, and it's we're going to keep pushing until things are better for people. Well, I've definitely learned a lot just throughout the course of this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Of course, I am your host, Darius Northern, with the Color Reimagined podcast presented to you by People of Color Clothing. And I just want to thank my guests for coming. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening.